0: Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. We're here on another lovely Chico afternoon. I appreciate the fact that you're able to spend some time listening to Business Buzz. I try to keep you posted on local business, statewide business, nationwide business, all kinds of things, plus the income tax world, which I'm thoroughly entrenched in as my day job is a CPA, and I've been at the same location for almost 30 years now. If anyone ever needs a good second opinion, you can ask me. I offer a free initial consultation. I like to remind you that there's lots of good tax professionals in Chico and I try to be one of them. I have been trying to keep you filled in on what I consider a very interesting business situation And it has to do with a lot of the things I talk about and the things that I like to talk about quite often are how you can keep your money safe and not be exposed to, well, I won't call it directly crooked, but there's just so many crazy things going on in the financial world that you really just never know what's real and what isn't. So I'm going to fill you in on some more news about my favorite company, Tesla, today. But the actual first thing I wanted to talk about was the um, on the local front, I had a guest the other day, and I'm going to try to follow that up. Uh, we were talking about Chico Scrap Metal, and uh, it was a very interesting discussion, but I really want to hear both sides of that story, so I'm going to try to follow that up with some with some good information the Tesla story is really strange because right after I mentioned some things about their giant losses from the second quarter where they lost over 700 million dollars I believe that very same evening Tesla ended up uh, the owner of Tesla named Elon Musk ended up sending out a tweet that has got everybody going nuts in the investment community. And to make a long story short, he tweeted out that he was trying to take the company private, which means trying to get rid of the public ownership of the company and buy the shares for, at the time that they were trading around 340 per share, I think, he said they would be bought for 420 per share. And he said that the financing was secure, the funding was secured. And that was what he sent out in a tweet. Well, I've been studying this since then because uh, I've got an article here and uh, the stock shot straight up when he did that, which basically added something like a billion dollars to his net worth just from his Tesla stock. So you can see why these things have to be regulated when... CEOs, which is chief executive officer, when they start tweeting things randomly and the stock price goes up, you can see where that could be abusive under certain circumstances. So I looked into this so I could fill you in a little bit more about that. The specific regulation lawyers believe Musk could have broken in his funding secured tweet is 14 E8 of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 which prohibits publicly traded companies from announcing plans to buy or sell securities if executives don't intend to complete, don't have the means to complete, or are trying to manipulate the stock price. Musk's claim that he has secured funding if in fact he does not could expose him and his company to lawsuits. So that's the basis of why this is troublesome is because when you say that funding is secured, that you're kind of Guaranteeing to people that uh, this is the real deal. Now, the article I've brought that relates to this is titled More Trouble for Musk as Another Untruth Emerges, and it is from my favorite uh, news website called ZeroHedge.com. And it says As we enter the third day of the Tesla going private saga, one big question continues to haunt investors. Who is the source of the secured funding that Elon Musk promised he had arranged ahead of his unprecedented tweet that sent Tesla socks soaring, eventually resulting in a delayed halt and made Musk $1.4 billion richer? As Bloomberg writes this morning, and this was dated the 9th of uh, August, No one has stepped forward publicly or privately to say they're behind the plan. People with or close to 15 financial institutions and technology firms who spoke on the condition of anonymity said they weren't aware of financing having been locked in before Musk's tweet. It's not just traders who are scratching their head over this question. Late on Wednesday, the Wall Street Journal first reported that regulators have also started asking the company if what Musk tweeted was factual and why such a disclosure was made via social media rather than a filing, which means they're supposed to file these kinds of proposals through the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission. But while everyone is so far focused on the Musk financing tweet, the CEO has now been caught in a second potential untruth, which would only add to the severity of any market manipulation enforcement action lobbed at the eccentric CEO. Recall that as part of Musk's Tuesday tweet storm when addressing shareholder receptivity, he said that investor support is confirmed. Only as Bloomberg reported this morning, it wasn't, as this too appears to have been gross hyperbole at best and outright misrepresentation at worst. At the California State Teachers Retirement System, and that's CalSTRS, and I've talked about them before, These are the people who hold the pension money and these are the people who invest in companies such as Tesla, which as of March owned about 213,000 shares. Spokeswoman Michelle Masudo said, there was no advanced warning. We have not been contacted by Tesla, she said. They didn't reach out before the tweet either. So here's what we know so far. The natural source of cash for a deal of this magnitude, SoftBank has passed on a possible deal saying the company was overvalued and that following an April 2017 meeting between Musk and uh, another person here that touched on a potential investment in Tesla, whose stock at the time was far lower. The talks failed to progress due to disagreements over ownership and have not started up again. So it seems like there is no financing in place for this supposed uh, taking private the company. Meanwhile, not a single bank that would be part of the obvious financing syndicate that would fund such a deal has been approached by Musk. Finally, the investors who support Musk allegedly had canvassed ahead of his announcement had little idea of what Musk was set to announce. Surely the SEC will be curious to connect the dots between all these three potential misrepresentations contained in a tweeted statement that boosted Musk's own net worth by 1.4 billion dollars. And then there is a report from the New York Times overnight, according to which Tesla and banks are studying a structure that would involve reducing the number of holders. So there's all these ways that he could try to get the company to be not public anymore, and the reason someone might wanna not be public anymore is if you've got a private company that's not traded on the major exchanges, then you don't have to go through all the trouble that Mr. Musk has had to go through when he's going up and down and promising this and getting reported on this, having to report the seven hundred plus million dollars lost in the last two each in the last two quarters. Something is really strange, and I'm really glad I was bringing up Tesla over the last week or two because it's getting more interesting as time goes by. One of the connections I want to point out is this connection between the fact that one of the major shareholders of tesla is calsters in this article that is calsters calpers all these gigantic pension funds that's what i've been talking about for months on business buzz your pension if you have a pension those pensions are being paid by places like calsters and calpers and since interest rates have been so artificially abnormally low for the last 10 years, these places like CalPERS and CalSTRS have had to go to other places to get returns on their investment. The entire pension system is based on returns of approximately seven or more percent of safe returns like there used to be in treasury bonds and things like that. But in an environment of low interest rates, There's nowhere safe to go to make six or seven percent. These large investment places, like pension funds, have to go to the stock market to try to make these kinds of gains. It so happens that they've been able to do fairly well in a lot of these stocks lately, but as I've pointed out, most of the gains in the entire stock market is due to five or ten of these large tech companies. That just keep getting bought up by mysterious buyers for I'm not sure what reason. I've said before, I don't believe the I don't believe people like you and me are calling our broker and say, Oh, I want to buy hundred shares of Tesla today. I just don't see that happening on a groundswell general public kind of situation. It's another reason to be very wary of who you're investing with and who's advising you. Your broker may have you sitting in mutual funds that have a lot of these high-flying stocks, and if the market were to crash, you could lose a lot of money in a very short time frame, and I'm just trying to help you protect that. As far as business, another topic I wanted to cover today, I get a lot of questions for people asking about how to handle their real estate, one of the main questions I get is, how do, you, how do you handle a tax-free exchange? How does that work? Since I get so many questions about that from clients, I'm figuring that a lot of people need to have a little basic information about that. The new tax law did cut down on what's called tax-free exchanges, but it did not do away with the tax-free exchanges of real estate. If you have real estate that's an investment property or a rental property, and this does not apply to your residence where you live, or if you own a home where your children live or something like that, those are not considered investment or rental. If you have investment or rental property, and if you were to sell it, you know you'd have a large gain and you'd pay a lot of tax, There's a very nice tax loophole called section 1031 tax free exchanges. It's done by the wealthy all the time. I encourage my clients if possible to always use a tax free exchange if they can swing it when they sell appreciated real estate. This is a way you can actually avoid paying tax on real estate gains and it comes in very handy. I'm bringing it up today because just the volume of calls I get and so many people are curious about how that works. I'm very familiar because I've been helping taxpayers with their tax preparation and planning for over 30 years now. I've seen it a lot and I've got to know the ins and outs. I won't claim to be the world's expert and I will tell you that what I'm telling you is just for entertainment purposes only, Don't use this as a reason to go selling a property and then blame Harold Littlejohn CPA for having said it was okay. There's many hoops to jump through. There's many technicalities in the law. You have to do things right. It's one thing I definitely recommend you always consult numerous people before you get this done because to do a 1031 exchange involves talking with someone like me as a tax professional but also talking to a realtor who knows Section 1031 exchanges and working with a title company familiar with exchange escrows. It's a very complicated process. If you don't do it right, you can end up having what's called a failed exchange, and you would end up paying the tax that you were trying to avoid by having a tax-free exchange done in the first place. After this first break, I'm going to come back and fill you in on some of the basics of a tax-free real estate exchange. And I think you'll be, if you listen and learn some of what I'm telling you today about this, you'll probably know more than 90% of everybody you meet about tax-free real estate exchanges. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz.
2: Just go to mergedgospels.com. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I was sensitive to lights and sounds, so I built secret hiding places where they couldn't get in. Sometimes I'd do the same things over and over, until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me help.
3: Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Glad you have a chance to spend some time with me this afternoon. I was talking about tax free real estate exchanges. If even if you don't have the situation, maybe, you know, someone who does, it's a very complicated process and mainly you have to be super careful because usually you're talking some pretty large dollar amounts. An example would be you bought a property that you lived in 30 years ago for $50,000. And when you moved out to a new house, you turned that old house into a rental. So you've been renting that house out for say 15 years. Now the way that works is that your basis in the house you moved out of and turned into a rental you paid $50,000 for, so that is what's called your tax basis in that property. Over the years though, you've probably depreciated 25 or 30,000 against the rental income you have as a rental which means that your adjusted basis is your 50000 that you paid for the place minus the depreciation that you've been using to offset your rental income. That makes an answer called the adjusted basis. So in that case, I'm just going to say you paid 50000 for this place. You've written off 30000 of it against rents over the last 15 years. Now it's worth $300,000. I'm just throwing numbers out. I have no idea what it's worth. You could have someone in the Bay Area with this. In fact, I do have a client with parents in the Bay Area with this situation, except instead of a $300,000 value on the house, they're looking at a $4 million value on the house. That's uh, how things work down in the South Bay. In Chico, I'm just kind of throwing out a number for three hundred. dollars seems to be the base price for a normal home these days in Chico based on what I've heard from some realtor clients and from some clients who have been house shopping. We will proceed with those numbers. Your adjusted basis is $50,000 minus the $30,000 of depreciation that's reduced your taxes over the last 15 years when you had to list your rental income. So your adjusted basis is $20,000, and your house that you're thinking about selling, that rental house is worth three hundred. dollars if you were to sell it without doing a tax-free exchange, that home, that gain would be 300 selling price minus the 20,000 basis, you would have a gain of $280,000. Now, approximately, I just like to use approximate amounts because I can't be sure, but we'll just go with an approximate tax between federal and state of 25% of the gain that means that your tax on that sale would be at least $70,000. In order to avoid doing that, if you're going to cash out and just go take a long vacation and move to rent, move and rent a small place in Costa Rica on the beach or something, then the fact of life is you need to take the money and run, pay the tax, and keep what's left. That's how normal sales occur. What happens is I'll be talking to a client who's discussing a gain like this and the secret question I need to ask them to see what can be done is, are you planning on buying any other property? If you're planning on buying other investment property, you would want to not sell without doing an exchange and you would want to do an exchange And let this money roll into that other property through a correct tax-free real estate exchange. That way you would avoid paying that $70,000 of tax. It gets sort of complicated. And as I say, I'm just talking to you here on the Business Buzz show for entertainment purposes. You can't rely on what I'm telling you here. Uh, You need to do your own due diligence and sit down with a tax professional, me or someone else. There's lots of them here in Chico. You need to do your own due diligence and learn what it is that you need to do to make these things happen. I can just tell you right now that there are rules that make it very strict. And if you were to do it wrong, you would be hit with that $70,000 tax bill when you weren't expecting it. That's the real problem. The main thing about the rules is you cannot have any escrow account sitting there with the money in it where you could grab the money. You can't do that and make it a legitimate tax-free exchange. You have to not be able to get to the money. Then you need to have the other transaction of what they call the target property. That target property is going to need to be valued at 300000 or more to make this completely tax-free exchange work out. But let's just talk about somebody who has the proper way this can work out. Let's say we have somebody with property on the coast, but they want to get some more rentals in Chico. That would be the perfect situation. They have this big gain down on the coast area property, but they want to get something here in Chico. They would do an exchange. They would follow all the rules. They would hire a tax professional like me to consult with first. Then they would find a proper real estate expert who knows about tax-free exchanges. That realtor would recommend to them what's called a facilitator that would be the place that's going to hold this money during the exchange. And what happens is if it goes perfectly, you can end up timing it to where your sale date and your purchase date are the same and they both close simultaneously and the proceeds from your sale gain, where you gained the 280, that proceeds of 300000 then goes directly to the purchase of the new property that we'll say for discussion purposes is 350000 That would be a, a perfect way to do an exchange. If you can't close on the same day, there are ways that you can sell your property, leaving it sit with the facilitator's escrow where you're not able to get to that money, Then you have a certain period of time to identify your new property. Then you have another certain period of time to close on the new property. I won't get into the exact numbers on these days you have to do all this because I don't want you to rely on what I'm telling you on the radio in case you're thinking about doing one of these. The reason I'm pointing this out is that these are the kind of things that are available to you if you work with a tax professional. I just had a call yesterday from a new client that I set up an appointment with for a week or two from now, a young man who is for the first time going out being self-employed in his field where he used to work for wages. He needs tax help. And by the time I got done talking with him, he realized how much he needs a tax professional. I spent a little bit of time talking with him and during the conversation, his initial reason for calling he told me was that he needs to know why he needs to look into getting a tax professional to make a long story short. By the time I spent 10 or 15 minutes educating him, like I'm doing uh, the things I do for you here on business buzz, he realized that there's so much to learn that the cost of preparing taxes at a place like my office, I try not to gouge of course, and I'm not the highest price place. I'm not the lowest price place. It's so well worth it to have professionals helping you. It's, it's amazing. It's like me when I have to deal with my health insurance requirements and premiums and options for the right plan. Do I think that I would want to spend two or three hours searching the internet, reading up on all the rules, calling the insurance company directly and just working with an agent on the other side of the 800 number. I personally hire a professional insurance man who does, he's got the knowledge already. He'll look up what he needs to look up, just like I look up things if I'm not aware of an exact detail of somebody's question. The point is, is that I refer to professionals when I need help and everybody should when it comes to taxes. I'm going to finish up on the other side of the bottom of the hour break here. About the tax free exchanges, so stay tuned to Business Buzz, Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back. Useless organs? A useless argument. This is Ken Ham, an Aussie transplant with a passion
2: for sharing God's word. Have you ever heard the claim that your body is full of useless structures left over from our supposed evolutionary past? this ridiculous claim has been debunked over and over. But you know, the myth still persists, and news articles still publish lists of these supposed organs. Sometimes our outer ear muscles are included. That's because we can't swivel them like some animals can. It's assumed they're leftover from our supposed evolutionary past. But evidence suggests they're important for causing us to reflexively turn our eyes in the direction of a sudden sound. Our bodies, though marred by the curse, aren't full of leftovers. It's because we did not evolve. Plan your family's visit to the full-size Noah's Ark at the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com or listen to this program again
3: or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. By constantly keeping their radio dial locked in right here, our
0: listeners experience a difference in their day.
1: You wake up with God on your mind, and um, all through the day, as much as I can get a chance, I'm listening to the radio. The atmosphere that you create determines the product that you'll produce. And so through the course of your day, you start your day with the presence of God so that your day will be productive and, you know, you can do the will of God and have a clear mind in doing it.
3: Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I hope you're having a nice afternoon. It's another beautiful, warm Chico summer weekday. And of course, you would expect that. And this has been one of the hotter years. Of course, the fires are terrible. Hopefully, they're containing more, more fire uh, percentages. I haven't checked that today. But good luck to the firefighters. And I hope everything's going well there. I'm going to finish up about the tax-free exchange. What I'm trying to teach you is there's lots of rules that govern this thing. It's very there's a lot of catches, there's a lot of mistakes that can be made, so you need to use professionals when you're getting this help. But as I pointed out in that example I just used, you could theoretically avoid paying tax on 7 of of $70,000 worth of tax, and that's on a $300,000 property sale. Imagine what kind of numbers we'd be talking about if we were in the Bay Area talking about a million or a $2 million home sale. It's incredible how much tax can be saved with the Section 1031 tax-free exchange. As I pointed out, you need to have a tax professional look at your own situation. Everybody's different, and you can't just use what I'm telling you to go out and sell without paying tax. But it is doable with the right help, and I encourage you to look into it if you're considering selling a property that isn't your residence and that even if it is your residence you need to check with a tax professional to make certain that you're not going to pay tax on any gain there's rules on that whole residence sale too that are can get pretty tricky and i would never encourage anybody to go into a sale of real estate in any respect without talking to a tax professional first to make sure that there isn't some kind of catch or some kind of problem that they're overlooking. There's too many ways to get trapped in a mistake with all these crazy rules. But the bottom line is the new tax law has preserved the section 1031 tax-free exchange for real estate. It's a good thing. And when I mentioned Costa Rica, that would be an example of an exchange you couldn't do because number one, the new place would be your residence and that doesn't count for exchanges The exchanges have to be investment or rental property for investment or rental property. It can't be for a residence for you you to live in. It can be for a rental house, but it can't be for a residence for you to live in. Moving along, I have been encouraging you to purchase some precious metals just for your money insurance. I brought along an article today that I just couldn't resist the headline. It's called 10-Year Immunity to J.P. Morgan for Manipulating Silver and Gold Gets Over in a Few Months. Now, this article was written at the end of 2017. The 10-year anniversary this is related to would be 10 years after the failure of Bear Stearns, which is an investment bank that went down in March of 2008, so the 10 years is actually passed. But here's the thing I wanted to try to explain, explain to you. When I talk about silver and gold prices being manipulated, uh, some people think I'm crazy. They think I'm paranoid. They call me a conspiracy theorist. And so far in my 30 years of reading conspiracy theory, I have yet to see one of those that didn't turn out to be true, uh, the serious ones that, that were fully researched. And they're still coming true as we speak. What happened is in 2008, there was an investment bank called Bear Stearns and J.P. Morgan took it over, which is Chase Bank, which is, I believe, the largest bank in the U.S. And we're going to talk about them in our next segment also a little bit. So J.P. Morgan is... Bear Stearns was taken over by J.P. Morgan. Here's the problem. Bear Stearns had been the biggest short seller of COMEX silver. Now, I've explained to you before that the paper price of silver is governed by what they call naked short selling. In other words, and I've explained this before, sometimes within about 10 minutes, there's as much paper silver sold in the paper COMEX silver market as there is silver mined in a year around the entire world. That's what this naked paper short selling, that's why the price of silver is still affordable. The price of gold to the same extent, but silver is more so than gold. And what happened was, uh, I'm just going to read part of this article to try to uh, explain what I'm talking about here. In a few short months, we will hit the 10-year anniversary of perhaps the most seminal event in modern silver history, the takeover of the failing investment bank Bear Stearns by J.P. Morgan in March 2008. Bear Stearns failed as a firm due to a variety of problems which, in effect, caused a run on the bank. But what makes the failure and subsequent takeover so prominent in silver history was the revelation shortly thereafter that Bear Stearns had been the biggest short seller in COMEX silver and gold futures and was replaced in that role by J.P. Morgan. Since the takeover, J.P. Morgan has not only remained the largest short seller in Comex Silver futures, but has gone gone on to rack up a perfect trading record on the short side of Comex Silver, taking profits on every new short position it has added since taking over Bear Stearns and never, ever taking a loss. More importantly, for the past nearly seven years, J.P. Morgan has used its ironclad control over silver prices to accumulate the largest investment position ever witnessed in physical silver, and all at the depressed prices it created with its massive paper short positions on the COMEX. At this point, I peg, and this is written by a guy named uh, Ted Butler, I pegged J.P. Morgan's physical silver position to be no less than 675 million ounces. I've been on J.P. Morgan's case since the fall of 2008 when I first uncovered that the bank was the new king short in silver. Because the evidence has been so strong that J.P. Morgan has both manipulated the price and accumulated a massive amount of physical silver, I lost any fear I had when I first started referring to J.P. Morgan as crooked in its silver dealings. Yes, I still send the bank all my articles, and I assume I would have heard from bank officials had they had any objection to what I write. So what it is is that, uh, what it is is that, When you see that the silver price right now is in the $15 plus range, that is very, very low considering the prices of everything else. The high price of silver 38 years ago hit $50. It hit $49 seven years ago. To think that a very valuable physical asset with very limited actual physical, uh, there's only so much of it, and most of it gets used up in technology, things like solar panels, all the computer gear, they all use silver. It's such a valuable metal. It's hard to believe that when everything else is sky-high prices, silver would be one-third of what it was worth 38 years ago at one point uh, in today's dollars, uh, inflated dollars. It's just incredible. That's why I encourage you, to buy some physical gold and some physical silver for your money insurance. There is no way that silver, in my opinion, and remember this is, you need to do your own due diligence. Don't take my word for it. But I I do recommend to my clients who have money in banks and stocks and retirement accounts, I do recommend that they put a percentage, and I'm not going to say what percentage because everybody's different. I recommend that they do put a percentage into physical gold and physical silver just as what we call money insurance. I'm going to get back to another article after this uh, break before the uh, quarter, quarter till hour. I hope you can stay with me. This is Harold Littlejohn CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back after this short break.
3: With home mortgage rates still near historic lows, now is a great time to buy or refinance. Michael Humes is your one-stop mortgage lender. Michael Humes and his knowledgeable staff are well-versed in a wide variety of loan types, including FHA, Fannie Mae, USDA, HomePath, and HARP. For a free evaluation of your mortgage needs, call him, 530-624-7942. That's 530-624-7942. Be sure to listen to Michael's Mortgage Market Update every Wednesday at 2.30 on Your Home Today. This is Michael Humes, Mortgage Specialist at Network Mortgage, located at 155 East 3rd Avenue. NMLS License 230273, BRE License 01250862, Employed
2: by Network Mortgage, BRE License 01840139, NMLS License 358237,
3: Equal Housing Opportunity. Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts with John Stephenson. John understands the importance of being prepared. Through rain, rocks and snow, he has seen it all and survived. He has seen major disasters like Mount St. Helens and how vehicles were stopped in the street from the volcanic ash, earthquakes too, including the Loma Prieta earthquake, which felt like it wouldn't stop shaking. People were without electricity and could not hardly buy groceries or gasoline. The homeless lit bonfires in the streets. The Bay Bridge and other freeways were broken. God only knows what will be next.
1: Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts by John Stephenson. We invite Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to guide us as we examine how our preparations can be used to preserve the life of ourselves, our family, and others. Well, I was recently in church, and before the service began, I was talking to my friend. In passing, I said something about Jesus coming soon. And he replied, "Ah, Jesus might return in a thousand years. Now, in my mind, I went down this path about why Jesus would soon return. (laughs) But then I realized, It really is true. There's numerous reasons for us to believe Jesus is soon coming, but really we don't know when Jesus will return. We don't know what God's timing is, and no matter what happens, we just don't know. So, we could go into the reasoning of why some dates are favored for the second coming of Jesus Christ, but That's really not the point here. Uh, We can fault others for having reasoning that we don't agree with, but the point is is we just don't know. It might be a long way off, and it might be close. Um, I think it's fun to look at these things. There are dates that people favored, and the closest ones are 2017. That's this year. And then there's 2023 and 2027 and 2037, So these are discussed dates, but we just don't know. There's also reasoning to why 2067 is a day and uh, 2100 is a, is a, a year of his return. The fact is, we don't know, no one knows. And when you don't know, well, you really don't know. So, in that similar kind of a thinking... We don't know when there will be a disaster or some kind of an event which really causes us some very great inconvenience or who knows, who knows what. We don't know. It could be a small inconvenience or a really big problem. We just don't know. So the idea is do something. Just like we want to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ when the rapture comes, we also want to have some preparation for the other things that just might happen. It just might happen, we don't know. But predicting the date for a war or a volcano or an earthquake or, or an electric outage, well, like I said, we just don't know when anything will happen. So, take some preparation now. There can be other things, they can be little things, uh, like an appliance could break, or a fan belt in your car could break, or how about a flat tire or a kitchen fire? Well, really, we don't know the timing of things. So the best thing I think we can do is do something for that just-in-case situation, because really, we don't know when anything ha- will happen. Not from the rapture, and not or Jesus' return, let's say, or... When something simple or something very major happens, we just don't know. Hmm. So, as, as, uh, as I always say, start your preparations now before there is an urgent need and what you want is hard to find. This is episode 39, and again, we must remember to give thanks to God for the many, many blessings that we do have.
3: Your letters with questions or donations are important. John Stephenson, P.O. Box 7222, Chico, California, 95927. Email prepareforgod at usa.com or call 628-7222. Thank you for listening to Preparedness Thoughts on KKXX.
0: My
2: Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn CPA. So glad you could spend a little time with me this afternoon. The time flies when you're having fun, and I always have fun here at KKXX, and I always have fun with the business buzz. I've got an article here by one of my favorite authors named Egon von Greyers, and I think it's important that you listen to the type of things he says. His website is called goldswitzerland.com. He manages investments in physical metals for very wealthy people. Uh, my clients are not billionaires. I think some of them would like to be. Some of them potentially could be someday, but we'll see how that all goes. For their sake, I hope they don't. I, From what I read, the uh, billionaires' lives are not that much fun. So this article is titled Hyperinflationary Gold at $175 billion. And it's dated August 2nd. But have you, if you've ever heard the story of the Sword of Damocles, that's a, it's like an old fable where the guy sat in for the emperor one day and uh, the only problem was when he sat in for the emperor, there was a sword hanging over his throne, hanging by a horse, tied by a horse's hair. And that was the Sword of Damocles that would remind, uh, leaders and wealthy people that they're that close to being destroyed at any moment. So that's the, that's the analogy he uses here. I'm just going to read you some of this because part of this article is absolutely shocking. If you're not shocked by this, uh, not sure what you've been drinking today. Okay. The sword of Damocles is hanging over the world economy held only by a single hair of a horse's tail with such visible danger. The problem could have been fixed easily by either using a gold chain or even removing the sword altogether. But the elite and central bankers have had other plans. Instead of replacing the hair with a solid metal chain, the sword is today hanging by a very fragile thread that can break at any time. The global financial system was on the verge of collapse a decade ago. Central banks around the world, led by the Fed, injected around, now get this, $25 trillion in loans and guarantees banks like Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, and Bank of America got trillions. And here's the shocking part that I wanted to mention. It's a table of the bailout by the Federal Reserve with the name of the company and the amount of money, free money they got. These are the top 16. And coordinated with that in this article, which I encourage you to look up and look at, is on the left-hand side Mitt Romney's top 20 contributors in the first three quarters of 2011, and on the right-hand side is Obama's top contributors in 2008. Mitt Romney's top contributors included Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, Morgan Stanley, Barclays, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, UBS, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup. Obama's top contributors included Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup. UBS Morgan Stanley. Now one thing I'll point out there with this list is isn't it interesting how the rich guys support both horses in the races. In other words, whether they care who wins these elections, they donate to both. Just in case their man, their in case horse A doesn't win, they've got horse B that they also contributed to, if you catch my drift. This table is shocking. Citigroup received two trillion five hundred billion dollars. Morgan Stanley received over two trillion dollars. Merrill Lynch over one trillion nine hundred billion dollars. Bank of America one point three trillion. Barclays, a European bank, received nine almost nine hundred billion dollars. Bear Stearns, the ones that we've talked about being eaten up by J.P. Morgan, $800 billion. Goldman Sachs, $800 billion. Get this one. Royal Bank of Scotland, over $500 billion. That's a foreign bank. J.P. Morgan Chase, almost $400 billion. Deutsche Bank, a German bank, over $350 billion. UBS, a Swiss bank, almost $300 billion. Now, can you imagine when our government claims they don't have enough money to, say, fix some roads or build some bridges, can you imagine taking a copy of this and pointing that out to somebody who says, we can't afford to do this or that, and and looking at a list that, I do remember that this list, I'd have to look up when it came out. It took about four or five years or more for the... Federal Reserve to even publish this list. They were totally not wanting to even disclose what happened and whether this is even the truth of what happened, we'll never know anyway, but this is the list that I'm looking at. And I remember that it took four or five years of harping to even get this list published. It's absolutely incredible that any government entity could say that we don't have money to fix anything or to help anybody with these kinds of numbers that occurred in 2008. Now I'm gonna continue with this article. I'm still in a state of shock. Today, more than 10 years since the great financial crisis started, the debt problem has become uncontrollable. Global debt has doubled since 2006, and together with derivatives and unfunded liabilities, risk has grown exponentially. So hundreds of trillions of dollars increase in debts and liabilities has not bought the world enduring stability but instead weakened the foundations on which the world economy rests to an extent that the next rescue attempt will totally fail. It is therefore inevitable that the sword of Damocles will soon drop and cause irreparable damage to the world. We can speculate if central bankers are totally unaware of the risks or if they have a hidden agenda. There are theories that the elite will orchestrate a collapse of the dollar and of the financial system, which will cause global panic. The purpose would be to hand over political and economic power to a centralized authority with the Bank of International Settlement and the International Monetary Fund playing a central role. Social unrest and migration is all part of the plan. The ultimate goal would be a new world order government and currency, microchipping everyone and eliminating private property would be also part of the plan. Whether this is all conspiracy theory or if a clandestine plant of this nature actually exists, time will tell. For most people, it all seems very far-fetched and unlikely. What seems more certain is that when the current economic super bubble bursts, there will be dramatic changes in the world economy and in the political system. If governments and central banks lose control over both the financial system and the political system, then the vacuum created could be extremely dangerous. If law and order cannot be maintained, then the whole fabric of society will disintegrate. That would also involve the breakup of national borders as well as mass migration on a much bigger scale than we have seen so far. Whatever the exact course of events, the world will experience major changes starting in the next few years. By mid-century, our children and grandchildren will live in a very different world to the one that the West has experienced since World War II. Humanity has always adapted throughout history and most certainly will this time too. But there is likely to be a lot of suffering and hardship for a major part of the global population. The explosion in the world population from 1 billion to 7.5 billion since 1850 is likely to reverse. This will lead to a reduction of maybe 2 to 3 billion people due to war, civil unrest, disease, famine, and lack of nutrition. All forecasts are by definition wrong, so only future historians will get the facts right. What is going to happen in the shorter term is easier to forecast with greater accuracy. When the sword of Damocles falls within the next one to three years, the damage inflicted to the financial system will be of such magnitude that central banks desperately will print hundreds of trillions or quadrillions of dollars to save the system. But this time, the printed money will have no effect. Instead, it will destroy the value of money and create the biggest global hyperinflationary period in history. Major trends normally start in the periphery before they move into the center. There is no better measure of hyperinflation than gold, because gold reveals the mismanagement of the economy and the debasement of the currency that has been rampant in most countries in the last 100 years. If we just take the dollar, it has declined 97% against gold since 1970, and 80% since 1999. But that decline is nothing compared to countries that are already encountering hyperinflation. By the end of this year, inflation in Venezuela is expected to reach 1 million percent. At that rate, Venezuela is now in the Weimar stratosphere. And I have explained to you guys the Weimar hyperinflation before. In January this year, the IMF estimated that Venezuelan inflation would be 2,400% in 2018. Now remember, uh, 2,400% is 24 to 1. Only the IMF can make such an incredible mistake in forecasting 2,400% when the actual will be 1,000,000%. What this also shows is that when hyperinflation takes hold, it increases stratospherically. A cup of coffee cost 2,300 Bolivar a year ago and is now 2 million Bolivar. From August, they will take five zeros off the currency. We will see how long it will be before hyperinflation adds them back again. As Margaret Thatcher said, the problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money. And that is where Venezuela is. An oil-rich and previously prosperous economy turns to socialism and is now totally run out of money. And the effect on the economy is totally disastrous. GDP, and remember I've told you before, gross domestic product is how you measure the production of an economy. I'm going to read that again. And the effect on the economy is totally disastrous. GDP is down over 40% in the last three years. Just in 2018, GDP is expected to be down 18%. The economics hardship is so severe that many people have no money and very little food. Poverty was 87% in 2017 and 4 million Venezuelans have left the country since 2016. But when it comes to seeing the effects of printing worthless pieces of paper and calling it money, there is no better measuring stick than gold because gold reveals deceitful government's attempts at hiding the truth from the people. A Venezuelan who had bought six ounces of gold for $1,800 in 1998, which is 900 bolivars in 1998, would today be a Bolivar billionaire. And this is at the official exchange rate. The black market rate is many times higher as the chart shows the exponential move up of gold in Bolivars and the spike in hyperinflation started in 2018. Although Venezuela is the only country currently in the Weimar League, many are on their way. Just look at Argentina and Turkey below with 12,000% and 10,000% inflation rate measured in gold. The chart of gold in Venezuelan bolivars above is very typical for a hyperinflationary pattern. It starts at a relatively slow pace and then totally explodes like in Venezuela in 2018. And thus inflation this year will be 1 million percent instead of the expected 2,400 percent. With debt bubbles in the U.S., Europe, China, Japan, and emerging markets, the world is likely to drown in printed money in the next two to five years. At that point, gold could easily be $175 million, euros, or yen. That level is, of course, meaningless in real terms. But what is very meaningful is that gold will at least maintain purchasing power and, more importantly, protect investors from the total wealth destruction that the poor Venezuelans are now experiencing. Just like most Venezuelans, which they had bought a bit of gold some time ago, so will most people in the West and the East in the next few years. It is now critical to own some insurance and not to be one of the ones who says, I wish I would have. So that was just, uh, and I always like to mention for Business Buzz listeners, it's a positive because I'm warning you that you need to have money insurance for what's likely to be a coming D- valuation of paper money, the U S dollar since 1971 has not been linked to anything real other than the full faith and credit. So if you go to the store and hand the man a dollar and he gives you a candy bar, he's taking that piece of paper for the candy bar because he can go then add that dollar to his bank account and write a check to his landlord for his rent for his store. That is the definition of paper money. If someone believes it's good for a dollar, they'll take it and assume it's a dollar. The problem is as the dollars, as the confidence in the dollar goes down, the value of real things like physical gold will go way up. Thank you for joining me on Business Buzz today. I'll be back next time. Please listen in whenever you can. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Have a great rest of your afternoon. KKXX, Paradise,
3: K280GL, Chico, and K280... News this hour from
2: townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. The FBI has fired former counterintelligence agent Peter Strzok over his anti-Trump texts.
3: A 22-year veteran of the agency, Strzok was fired last Friday over a series of anti-Trump texts. He exchanged with FBI lawyer Lisa Page, with whom he was having an affair. Among those texts, one where he vowed that Mr. Trump would never be elected. Critics allege those texts show a pattern of anti-Trump bias at the FBI and the Department of Justice. Strzok was removed from his role with Special Counsel Robert Mueller after the texts were uncovered. Correspondent Wally Hines reporting. President Trump has
2: signed a $716 billion defense policy bill named for John McCain. The measure Mr. Trump signed Monday at New York's Fort Drum will boost military pay by 2.6%. The